comes from Titus chapter 3. This is the last in the series that we're doing on Titus. And, um, Paul's, Paul's comments to this, this, this leader of the church as to how he is to teach and how he is to lead. And uh, let us pray and ask God before we read this that he might, by his spirit, apply it to our lives, that we as his people and we as those who lead in the church might learn and grow from what he has to say, that he might be glorified in us and amongst us. Let's pray. Almighty Father, you are Lord of the universe, holy, mighty, good, loving, kind, gracious, merciful. You have brought us as your people together and you have gifted us with your spirit. You've given us your son and we praise you and we thank you for that. As we come now to look at this passage of your word, from your word, we ask that we might be encouraged by it, we might be challenged, and that we might seek to live out what you share through your Apostle Paul that we as your church in this place and wherever you take us might live in such a way that you are glorified. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wasn't quite sure when Daryl asked me to preach uh, today what I was going to. He kind of said, um, you say what you like. <laughs> and uh, then this rocked up to be preached on, which is really good because it saves me a lot of time in thinking about the sorts of things to say. But the more I've read this over, the, over this week, the more I think it's, it's come out that there are some things in here that I would really like to say to us as a church in terms of the way that we are to live and the way that we are to move forward, but also to the leaders in the church that they might see that this might be the direction that we head. And make certain that the decisions that we make and the things that we do help us to focus on this. I suppose as, as I've been thinking through my time here, and uh, I, I've been thinking through you know, uh, what, what the vision of the church is in, in you know, making passionate disciples of Christ. I've been pondering what a very wise young man said to me a couple of weeks ago um, after, after the evening service and uh, he, he suggested a, a change to that which I think is, is brought out in this passage and that I think is an appropriate change. So the, the focus that we often have here is to make disciples. Whereas I think this passage is saying that we are to be disciples. Th the making flows from that. One of the things that, that struck me as we go through, and I've been involved in ministry for 20 years now, is that we need to be people who are passionate, who follow Jesus. And the impact of us being passionate is that others flow in, into that. They, they're attracted by Christ. Now, Paul, in this passage, three times, at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, his comment is to that whatever it is that Titus is doing as he shares, as he leads in the church, is to have this output of people that they will be good. 
He says in verse 1, remind the people, dot, 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 to be ready to do whatever is good. Good here in the sense of God's goodness. Good here in the sense of the way that God expects us to live. Good in the sense of that practical application. And right at the beginning, he's going to talk about how that flows out from us to a community, to a secular world amongst the places that we live. And then in the middle, he gives the reason why we're to do that. He gives the thought process that's supposed to stick in our head, our understanding of who God is and what God has done. That is to lead us to see the world in a particular light. And we'll look at that. But at the end of that, down in verse 8, he says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. This, this faith that we have, this belief in God doesn't stop here. And I suggest to you it doesn't stop here. What Paul is trying to say and what I would encourage us to be like is that it flows out to each other and it flows out to the world. If it doesn't, then I think the book of James would say, and the book of Hebrews would say, and other writings of Paul would say, it's dead. It really doesn't have much impact at all if it isn't flowing out into the way that we live. That's what he's saying here. If people actually know this stuff, then it will flow out. Having done that, down to verses 9 through to the end, he talks about how, we, how this understanding is the fact that we learn to do good to each other. We learn to live that way with each other. So I'm just going to go through these quickly. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. And it's not in the translation, but the next part in the Greek is for. Why should we behave like that? And he says, for. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, and here he quotes a, a saying that was common, if you like. This was an expression of the gospel. A trustworthy saying that people were to remember that people would have known and understood. Verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Then he moves on to how we deal with each other and our relationships. 
But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Orticius to you, Titius, depending on how you want to say it, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. What I thought I'd do is just jump quickly into that middle section to look at the reason why all of this is something that we, we do. It's that gospel statement. Josh talked two weeks ago about the need for the gospel to be the leaders gospel-centered, the church gospel-centered. And Paul comes back to that. Sometimes in our good teaching and our good theology and our good understanding of Scripture, we focus at that level and we sometimes forget the core, which is what Christ has done and who Christ is. And this is what is in, 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 in the New Testament, is to drive us towards our action, to drive us towards love. That's why we have communion regularly. That we... we this, this thought, this understanding is embedded within us to such an extent that it just can't help but show itself in the way that we treat others. And I, I know that you know this. But again, as I've gone through this week and contemplated on these few verses time and time and time again, I've been reminded that this is supposed to be a daily exercise for us. A, a refocusing a bringing back, a re-energizing. I, without fail, charge my iPhone every day because otherwise it goes flat. I even charge my iPad every day in case it goes flat. I charge my little headphones so that I can listen to the TV really loudly because I'm deaf in case they go flat. And yet so often in life, we don't refresh ourselves, recharge ourselves with this understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. And so Paul here reminds Titus, something that Titus knows, something that all the people know. But he says, get this into you. Refresh yourselves, revive yourselves. This is the reason why you live. So verse 3, remember what you were. And this is how God saw us. And when we begin to think God's thoughts after him, when we begin to see ourselves in the way that God sees people, not how the world sees us, not how we see ourselves, but how God sees us, this is what we were before we knew him. We were foolish. We didn't understand who he was, that this was his world and that we lived in it. 
at his grace. We lived as if this was our world and we lived in it because we had a right to do so. We were fools. We said in our heart there is no God. Or even if we knew there was a God, he doesn't have a right to rule over me. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We didn't live according to his standards and his laws. We purposely did things to pleasure ourselves, to pleasure our families, to look after ours. We were deceived and enslaved. We lived in a world which told us that God wasn't important, that God didn't really make it, and that God doesn't have his hand upon it, that the things that happen are based on either chance, fate, or something else which is influencing them. And it's God's world, and everything that happens within it is because God desires it so to be. And we live for him. But we're deceived, and we're enslaved by our very hearts. This is who we were. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, I can see on a few faces, and I know that as I talk to people, they say, hold on a second. Calm the farm. That's a bit far. I wasn't that bad. All right, I wasn't perfect. But, I mean, look around you. I was towards the top. I was a good folk. That's what I thought when I was growing up. My parents were missionaries. Pastors' kids, they had to be saved. No offence. Right? They had to. Missionary kids didn't because their parents had sacrificed so much. They deserved an automatic and I knew all the stuff up here. Went to a Billy Graham crusade. And I thought, I know this stuff, man. He's so boring. What's he going on about? I've heard this every day of my life. But somehow, by God's grace, through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, I came to understand that that was me. I was foolish, I was disobedient, I was deceived, I was enslaved at the age of 12 by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I lived in malice and envy as a good kid. That's how I lived, with God standard in God's world and how he desired me to be. I hated and I hated one another. We need to remember that's who we were. Now, I understand that some of you aren't yet followers of Jesus Christ. What this passage is saying is if we are not followers of Christ, if we don't acknowledge who God is and what God has done for us, then in his thinking, that's what we are. Because in his reality, in his universe, which is the one that we live within, his word is true we can't redefine it how we want to no matter how much we want no matter how much the world tells us to be refined differently if we don't live in the reality of what we're talking about here in the gospel that's who we are and i would encourage you now to listen to what i'm saying to the church that they might remember what has happened for them because of christ and think this is what god wants for you this is what God desires. He says this. That's who we were. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. 
not because of the righteous things we had done. Why not? Well, because we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating others. We, we didn't have a righteousness of our own that he would say, yep. And this is sometimes a struggle for us to remember because we live in a world where we think we're pretty hot and we're actually told that we're supposed to think we're pretty hot. There's a new course that's out there for kids in school to tell them how to sell themselves so that they can be good entrepreneurs. It's in our education department. There's a curriculum come out. I can't remember what it's called. I was listening to the news the other day on the radio. What it basically says is it teaches young people in high schools how to go and tell the world how great they are and how deserving they are. Now, if they're employed, the company is just going to... How to market yourself is what it's saying. No, God says when the kindness of God, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, because of his loving kindness, because of his goodness. How did he do that? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God took the initiative. He changed our heart of stone. He changed into a heart of flesh. He made it possible by the work of his Holy Spirit that we might understand who we are and that we might respond to him in faith. It was all a work of God as he brought us to himself. This Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, by the work of God in our life, and because of the work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in his death and resurrection, we have been justified, made right with God. We're no longer seen by God in that sense of foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. We still have, we still live in this world and we still have that baggage with us and he's changing us. When God sees us, he sees his son. Because all of our sin and all of our disobedience, all of our foolishness has been dealt with on the cross. And through Jesus, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Going to heaven. Living with God forever. A hope that is to sustain us. Now, my encouragement to you is on a day-by-day basis, maybe for the next month, take that passage, write it up, put it on the back of the loo toilet door. Read it. Recharge yourselves. Get up in the morning. Think through the gospel. Because what Paul is saying to Titus is that his job as a leader is to so put this understanding before people that it changes the way that they live. They understand what God has done for them. And I challenge you, if you haven't thought through that on a daily basis, give it a try. Think it through every morning, every night. What Christ has done for me. What Christ has done for me. This is what I was. This is who he's making me to be. All because of the love of Jesus. And how is that supposed to flow out? Firstly, going back to the top of the passage... It changes the way that we see the world. Often Christians, as they live in the world, they look out there and they say, what a bunch of sinners. They don't know God. How can we actually work in this sinful world, 
The United Nations has just made abortion, they're trying to make an abortion, just gone through, a right. Just like the right to shelter and the right to education. How can we support a government that follows such wickedness? We just have to watch the television. And we say, why, why don't people understand how God's made the world? It's not supposed to push and promote sexuality like it does. Violence like it does. Drunkenness like it does. We sometimes look down on those people. Well, we look at the government in what he's talking about here and we say... I don't, I don't know. I can't support that. I can't go along. I can't. In whatever rules or authorities we're there, we look at the world and we compare them with God and we put them down. We begin to talk evil against them. We no longer show that love and compassion which God has shown towards us, towards them. And what Paul reminds Titus is that we are to be reminded that when we go out into the community we have to remember that's what we were. Now, two things I want, I want to learn from this. Firstly, that's what we were. Have a good, solid think about your life. And I'd like to leave this with you. If you're still like everyone else out on there, then you can't go with what Paul is saying. He's saying that's what we were. I know some people who have been in church for a long time are going to have to say, that's what I am. I'm still the same as everybody else that's out there. I actually don't feel those negative feelings towards folk because they're okay. There's nothing wrong with the way the world's going. I, I, I like everything that's there. I don't mind the television. I don't mind the radio. I don't mind the way that people react with one another. I'm not all that concerned about our education system. About the way things are going with marriage. I, those things aren't really a concern for me. Well, then you need to take a very good look. Because Paul says the expectation would be that as we think Christian thoughts, that we will think that there's a difference and we will see that difference. And he thinks the natural reaction of that, if we're not careful, is to look down on those people, to talk evil towards them, not to want to live in peace and not to be considerate. And he says, no, you have to do those things, but you have to remember there's this difference. That's the first thing. Think about it. Is there a difference? And then secondly, think about how you respond to the world. He says that, we are to be reminded to be subject to rulers and authorities. The, the word there is, is, you know, people going about it, is, is the continuous action of actually being obedient and submissive to. Always. And you think to yourself, well, <laughs> he didn't have Campbell Newman. No, he had Nero, which is much worse. Whatever you think, it's, it's much worse. He says, let them be subject to rulers and authorities. Don't slander people. Be peaceable and compassionate and gentle towards everyone. Why? Because, he says, 
I want you to stress these things so that those who are trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Live before those people in such a way that we are light to them. Live in such a way that they are attracted to us. Live in such a way that they notice the difference and they ask why it's so. I get embarrassed sometimes listening to people talk on the radio about how Christians are no different from anybody else. The expectation of Paul here is that we will be. By good here, it's the matter of doing those godly, gracious acts of kindness, acts of mercy, acts of care with people and sharing with them the reasons why we respond like this, that we're different we love Jesus. So let me encourage you in that. As a church, to reach out to the community by being good, being gracious with your friends, with your family, with the people you work with, that they'll notice the difference. If you want this church to grow, to be blessed, to have people come to faith, you can't do it with talk alone. You can't do it with intentions alone. You can't do it with the few individuals alone doing it. It needs to be a corporate action, a corporate behaviour, a corporate momentum. This is who we are. And I would encourage you to move in that direction even more so. But then he says one of the other issues, one of the other ways that this works its way out is that you've lost your focus internally as well. The things that you have to be careful about, he's saying to Titus, are that you don't allow the people to lose focus on Jesus and what he's done. He said the tendency is going to be one of two things. Firstly, you're going to not focus on that. You're going to focus on the trivialities. But avoid foolish controversies. We can all think of controversies. Things that are out there that Christians love fighting about, arguing about, being controversial about. Things that we believe and hold, has, hold on to as truths of Scripture or we fight against because they're not truths of Scripture. The gifts of the Spirit speaking in tongues. Whether or not there is limited atonement. Is Calvinism right? Is it our own free will? Women in ministry. How you should raise your children, homeschooling, etc., etc. I could go on. I had a whole list in my mind, but I'll stop there. We have these controversies. There's nothing wrong with useful discussion. What Paul says to Titus is, avoid these foolish controversies. And he goes on to talk about genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law. 
And I don't want to talk about what all of those things are, but I think they're important for us some stage to look at. Probably more in the leadership looking at those things to making sure that we don't do any of those things. But he says, because they're unprofitable and useless. And the sense of these words is that they're not fruitful. They don't bear fruit. If you like, they don't change the way that we live for God. They might change the way that we think, but they don't change our fruitfulness. They don't change our witness. They don't change our living amongst each other and for other people. That the discussion itself, unless the outcome is one of fruitfulness, a spiritual revival, a change in the way that we respond and live amongst each other and amongst the world, then it's a waste of breath. So he says to this leader, he says, avoid those things. He says, those things are going to happen. They're going to respond. You might even talk and begin to share in some of that discussion. But then he says, once you realise that it's not going to bear fruit, it's not going to come to a useful conclusion. It's just a talk fest, a one-upmanship, a pride thing, then take a step back. Avoid that stuff. Stay out of it. And then he says to the leader here, warn a divisive person once. When you find that that sort of talk is going on, the sort of people who, who bring up controversy, you keep focusing on this word or that word, who, who try and cause division and dissension, he said, warn them. Now, note here, Paul isn't saying that you can't have appropriate comment on good and bad behaviour. If a behaviour is leading to moral error or wrong thinking about the gospel and what the word of God says, leaders, if we go back to Titus chapter 1, are supposed to put a stop to it. It's not supposed to happen. That's what he's saying to the leader here. He's saying you as leaders are supposed to put a stop to this stuff. So if you find someone who is just raising stuff, causing issues, warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with don't enter into those discussions with them. All they're trying to do is cause a breakdown in the family. Why? Remember, you at one time were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. But when the kindness and love of God has saved you, he saved us. And therefore, your whole attitude is to be different from what you were. You're not supposed to be hateful. You're not supposed to be divisive. You're not supposed to be doing stuff for yourself. You're not supposed to get one-upmanship. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They're still thinking like they used to be. They're not thinking like they should be. And they're self-condemned, self-condemned by their actions. And then he says, and he misses, there's this farewell that he gives and these comments about a few people. I'm not going to go into those sorts of comments. But just to know that he really cared about the people who are around him. He cared about the interaction that he shared with. This was another part of the love flowing out. This is care that he has for these people that he expects them to show to him. A love. Through the disappointments, through the discouragements, 
through the disagreements, a love and a caring for one another. We're a big church. 800 people on a Sunday probably, including kids. You're not going to like them all. You're probably not going to like most of them. But he says our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, to showing a care and compassion amongst each other. Unless we learn to do this, we're not going to be effective in reaching the community and carrying out the mission of Christ. We're not going to be putting this gospel into effect. Why should we devote ourselves? In order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. I, I struggled over this passage to see what God's saying, and I think one of the things he's saying is that the one of the things that he's done, he's saved us, he's made us his family, he's made us his church, we're his hands and his feet in the parlance of what we used to have a group here that did. We are supposed to be those in the community who provide for urgent needs amongst each other and in the community. That's, that's our job. But not only that, our lives are supposed to be productive lives. This goodness that we show is supposed to be an ongoing, everyday part of our lives. Not, not a Sunday thing, not a ministry thing, but an all-the-time thing. I was talking to a young pastor during the week, somewhere else. He said, what's the difference between being a pastor and being a missionary? I said, in some ways, being a missionary is easier. He said, why? I said, because pastors go home at night and they close the door and no one can see them. When we were on the mission field, we were kind of like living in a glass box. Everything we did was looked at. How we shopped, what we shopped for, how we treated each other, how we looked after our kids, how we did, what television we watched. The whole lot was on display for the world to see. But we were aware of that. And we were constantly thinking, we need to live for Jesus now. Because people would wander through our house. People would see the way we interacted. They would see how messy we were, how messy we weren't, whatever else it is. I said, being a pastor is easy. I drive home, I close the door, no one sees me. I can forget. How hard it is for people in the world who live in such a way that they forget that their lives are on show, if not before the world, and though it is before the world, but before God himself. And he says, if people don't focus on understanding that what God has done for them is to lead them to live a holy life, compassionate life, a merciful life, a giving life, a thoughtful life, a God-centered life, a passionate life for Jesus, then they will not be living a productive life because fruitfulness is what God is interested in. Fruitfulness doesn't save us. We're saved by the grace of God. It is not because of the righteous things we had done or the righteous things we will do that he has saved us. But his expectation is that we will be fruitful people. 
And if I can do nothing else but encourage you as we leave, and we're sad to see uh, many of you go, and we'll hopefully catch up, it would be to see if, if we could remind you of these things. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus daily, moment by moment. Recharge, plug yourself in. Get back, focus on the gospel. Never lose sight of it. As you work with people in the world, remember that they're lost and you used to be. And that you are called to be fruitful amongst them. Don't allow the fact that many of us still live sinful lives amongst each other to distract us from being fruitful in here, equipping and encouraging each other with love and good deeds, to love and good deeds. And I pray that we remember and learn to love each other more, day by day, week by week, year by year, and that as we are passionate followers of Jesus, that others will be passionate followers of Jesus. Because if we seek to make them without being ourselves, we're just wasting our breath. God uses the people he saved and the ones through whom he bears fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it challenges us and encourages us. I pray that we might all, that I might, Constantly focus on all that Jesus has done. Your love to us shown through our rebirth and renewal by the Spirit. How even when we were far off, you loved us and brought us to yourself. Help us to realize the lostness of the world in which we live and seek to live good lives amongst them that they might know you. That they might be bring you glory. Father, I pray for this church. And I ask that we might not focus on things which divide, on things which don't bear fruit, but instead that the focus will be on how might we live amongst each other to bear fruit fruit of goodness and grace, kindness and joy, peace and mercy. Now, the decisions that we make and the way that we live might be to that end that each of us passionately follows Christ. And those who don't live like this, Lord, help us to not listen to them. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.